It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello again and Merry Christmas. I think it's fine to say that now. It's the end of November. Advent is about to start. Christmas may be very different for many this year, but I know regardless of where or how we celebrate, we can still watch some festive specials such as the classics of Only Fools and Horses. Listen to festive music, such as 80s charity smash hit Do They Know It's Christmas? And obsess over the Christmas radio times. Well, I better discuss all three things. Voted Britain's best sitcom in a 2004 BBC poll, holding the record for the highest UK audience for a sitcom with 24.3 million viewers for one episode, Named as the funniest sitcom ever through a scientific formula of TV channel Dave, I'm not sure what scientific formula, the main character was voted 4th greatest TV character in a Channel 4 poll, it won 3 BAFTAs, and it was so popular it's had a spin-off and a hit stage musical. Only Fools and Horses is one of the quintessential British sitcoms. Everything about it is so British, from the main characters, two brothers, wheelers and dealers in London, Cheeky geezers trading on market stores, searching for girls, going to the pub, living in a flat in Peckham. First with Grandad and then their uncle. Both an older, slightly odd bloke with many stories to bore the younger pair. The supporting cast were a rich and interesting bunch as well, from the dim-witted Trigger to the lorry driver, Denzel, to the yuppie, Boyce. The show ran for seven series from 1981, and a series of specials followed each year, with lots of Christmas releases. Although many of those were not specifically festive focused, more so just a Christmas Day release to grab all those family viewers at home. I just had to do an Only Fools and Horses, as it's always on at Christmas, and even without trying, I always end up watching a bunch in December. I haven't seen every episode though, I'm not an expert or a massive fan, I've seen a bunch of random episodes, mostly at Christmas, but never whole series together. It's always been a background watch for me, even growing up. So I thought I'd dive into the very first Christmas episode today, which was between series 1 and 2, broadcast on 28th of December on BBC One. One thing of note before we get into the series, is that this was the last episode with the original theme tune. <laughs> The theme tune most fans of Only Fools and Horses know and love was introduced in Series 2. Changing up the seasons and the tides of the sea But here's the one which driving me 
the episode. We start with Rodney. He's reading a book about body language and how to use it to get girls. Grandad is cooking Christmas dinner. Delboy comes home and the two discuss the horror show that is Grandad's Christmas cooking and they plot some ways to get out of eating it. Have a butcher's in that kitchen, Del. It's all smoke and smells. It's horrible. He's got baked potatoes in there, look more like lumps of anthracite. Uh, there's green stuff in there, right? I don't know what it is. I was going to ask, but I thought I'd better wait till you got in. Why'd you let him do it, Del? Well, it's tradition, isn't it? He's been cooking the Christmas dinner ever since Mum went. Yeah, he's been cocking it up ever since Mum went. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want, eh? A sacre bleu chef or something? Look, I don't fancy it any more than you do, Rodders, but, you know, what can we do about it, eh? Well, let's pretend we both become vegetarians, eh? Then we won't have to eat his turkey. Don't be a dipstick all your life, Rodney. <laughs> we pretend that we're vegetarians, we'll end up with a plate full of anthracite and green stuff. Well, I'm going to say I'm on hunger strike. Some kind of humanitarian grounds. Ah, oh, leave it out, will you? Leave it out. I remember the last time that you went on hunger strike over a protest about the American cruise missiles being based in Britain. You said that you were going to starve yourself till all the missiles were removed. So? 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 That was eight months ago. The missiles are still here. What is more to the point, Rodney, so are you. <laughs> Went one and a half days on hunger strike and you sent out for a curry. Well, I was starving. Well, that's the idea of it, you plonker. <laughs> Delboy makes the point that this is all Grandad has, and they just have to get on with it. A great visual gag opens the next scene, the Christmas turkeys being carved by Delboy with an electric carving knife that isn't plugged in. He's just soaring back and forth. They tuck into dinner, and the turkey isn't quite perfect. Slightly underdone, maybe. Slightly underdone, I reckon a kiss of life would revive that too. That's enough, Rodney. How's your guts now, Rodney? Not too bad now, Grandad, thank you very much. I hope you ain't got worms. <laughs> doing this on purpose. Hey, that's enough, you two. Now, come on, this is a dinner table. I mean, worms and all that. Just that Rodney's got this burning sensation in his stomach, haven't you, Rodney? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're glowworms. <laughs> they also have a discussion about Christmas cards that reminds me of some that we had growing up at Christmas time in our family. Who's Brenda and Terry? Who's Brenda and Terry? Who's Brenda and Terry? Yeah. Who's Brenda and Terry, Rodney? I don't know. What are you going on about, you old div? <laughs> I got a Christmas card from them. It said, love from Brenda and Terry and the kids, Shirley, Shane and Sean. Yeah, yeah, that was from Brenda and Terry. Oh, no! <laughs> Who is Brenda and Terry? Well, it's Shirley, Shane and Sean's mum and dad, isn't it? <laughs> oh. Did we send them one back? Where can we send them one back? We don't know who they are, let alone where they live. <laughs> Just as well with them. Then something is revealed about the turkey and what was left inside. Didn't throw the giblets away, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I only asked, I only asked. Did you? I promised them to the old girl downstairs for a cat. There weren't any giblets in it, dear old boy. It was ready clean. Said so on the box. Yeah, I know it was ready clean, Grandad. What they do is they take the giblets out, put it in a plastic bag, and they put it back inside the turkey, don't they? Do <laughs> they? Yeah. <laughs> you took the bag out, didn't you? I didn't know it was in there, Grandad. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
left it with everything still in it. Oh, my good God. Blimey, it's like peering at the jaws of hell here. Didn't you at any time notice it, like, for instance, when you were putting the stuffing in? Well, there's stuffing in there as well. I mean, there's everything in here, Rodney. <laughs> Sage and onion, molten plastic, <laughs> things. Oh, it's like Irish night in a delicatessen. <laughs> I just didn't know it was in there, dear boy. Another hit of nostalgia for British people up and down the country as Del Boy falls asleep in front of the telly with a paper hat crown on out of a cracker and a copy of the Christmas Radio Times, which I'll talk more about later. He wakes up and Rodney and Del Boy complain about being bored and there being nothing open, no one about. Rodney is desperate to go out and Del Boy reminds him of Grandad. They need to be there for him. <laughs> I want to go out, Del. Listen, Rodney. There are a lot of old people all over the country tonight, sitting on their own. Now, half of them don't get a Christmas card, let alone a bit of company. So you're going to stay in with me and Grandad. Look, if I want to go out, I'll go out. You won't. I will. You won't, Rodney. I will, Dill. You won't. I will. You won't. I will. I'm off out now. See you later. <laughs> See you later, Grandad. You yeah. won't. I will. Listen, if I... Oi! Oi! Just a minute. Where do you think you're going? I'm going to the old folks' Christmas do over the community centre. I thought anything would be better than sitting in here all night listening to you two arguing. Tell us what happens in the sound of music. See ya. Yes. I'll see you, Granddad. So the two brothers decide to go out to a club, with Del Boy all dressed up in some snazzy bright suit which Rodney can't help but comment on with a bit of added 70s light sexism. Your flesh you are, ain't you? You think you know the lot, don't you? Everything about you is... leery. What do you mean, leery? Well, look at the way you're dressed to begin with, eh? What? I mean, you make a Christmas tree look sombre. <laughs> and God knows how you've got the courage to walk down dark alleys wearing all that gold. When they see you coming, you must look like a mugger's pension scheme. <laughs> Listen. How do you think, how do you think a peacock attracts a lady peacock, eh? With his plumage, right? Well, this is my plumage. You see, when I approach a bird, she doesn't see the real me, the young, good-looking man about town, own teeth and all that sort of game. No, she sees, you know, subconscious, a white yacht floating on the blue waters of a Caribbean bay. Is that right? Yeah. With you, they see a winkle barge sinking off the end of South End Pier. <laughs> Eventually, Rodney spots a couple of attractive women, one with wonderfully big hairspray hair, of course, and tries to get Del Boy to go chat him up so they can pull. Instead, Del Boy says it's Rodney's turn, so he psychs himself up, remembers his body language book, and tries to swagger across to them. But his legs seem to be all over the place, and Del Boy calls him back. <laughs> I'd like to kill you sometimes. Sometimes I'd really like to work you bad. What was that silly walk for? Your gut's playing you up again. <laughs> it was body language. Look, I've got this book on it. Body language? I thought you were limping. I was talking to um. Talking? You were lisping? What were you supposed to be saying then? Well, the walk was saying... Pelvis. Virility. It was saying, now here comes a man who's got natural masculinity and maturity. Oh. From back here, it was saying, here comes a man with his truss on back to front. <laughs> they instead make a plan, get a drink, act cool, and ambush them. 
I'm not sure this language is the best way to talk about getting women, especially nowadays. Their plan to trick the women into fancying them revolves, of course, around some fake wealth and humiliation of Rodney. Hey, Dill. No, I've got no. it. I've got it. No, just now. Shut up. Shut up. This is what we're going to do. You're going to leave the club. Leave? Yeah. Then when you get outside, you leave it a couple of minutes, right? Then you come back to the dormant and you say that there is a brand new Rolls-Royce Corniche obstructing your freewheel van. Why? Well, because then he'll come on the mic, won't he, and say, Will the owner of the brand new Rolls-Royce Corniche kindly move it as it is obstructing Sunset's freewheel van? See, then I will casually get up, jangling my keys, and join you outside. Why? Well, because them birds will think that I drive a brand new Rolls-Royce Corniche, won't they? Oh, yeah! Yeah, but they'd also think that I drive a three-wheel van. <laughs> yeah, well, you do, don't you? Yeah, I know I do, but I don't want them knowing that, do I? Well, they won't, will they? Because you'll be outside. With you? Right! So that means the girls will be in here in the warm, and us two shrewdies will be outside on the pavement somewhere congratulating each other. Then we're going to have to pay to get back in again. They continue to plot and plan after this idea falls through, and they're just about to approach when two of the blokes sweep in and dance them onto the floor, leading to a good old insult at Rodney. You dozy little twonk, Rodney. Mate, don't blame me, girl. It's your fault. Look, five minutes ago I was ready to make my move and you kept calling me back again. An hour ago I was halfway across that floor and you called me back. Yes, that's because you was doing a silly walk, weren't you? But anyway, your timing was all wrong. The girls had hardly sat down and you were steaming across the floor like Ivor the engine. No <laughs> good crashing in there with a smile and a prayer. And Delboy telling him the three ways that he treats a woman well. I take a woman's feelings into consideration. <laughs> I, I do. Look, when a woman goes out with me, she is guaranteed three things. Well, four actually, but a fourth is an optional extra. <laughs> she is guaranteed a well-dressed man. <laughs> yes, she is. She's guaranteed a steak meal, and she is guaranteed care and consideration. Oh, no. oh yes, she is. Nothing like a steak dinner to impress a lady. Finally, the brothers go up to two rather plain-looking women they sneered at earlier, seemingly to make a last-ditch chance to pull. But this isn't Del Boy's plan. Excuse me, uh, ladies, it's getting rather late, and my brother and I were wondering if you were thinking about going home yet. Oh, yes, we were just going to get our coats. Oh, good. We can have your chairs in, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> I actually felt quite sorry for these women, and it shows a difference between TV then and now, with the mocking of these actually pretty women as plain and a source of comedy. Watching as someone who is not a massive fan of the series, but has seen the Christmas episodes a bunch of times, it still has that real nostalgic hit for me. It reminds me of sitting around at home as a kid, the parents watching, laughing along, and only kind of getting the jokes and humour. Even with it being an early episode, and the show still finding its feet and audience, it still stands up today for the most part with really sharp gags and brilliant characters. Delboy and Rodney, aka David Jason, and Nicholas Lindhurst just embody these roles so well. It's no wonder they've become iconic. I think it even works if you haven't seen the whole series, as the story stands alone, although the characters probably work better if you know the personalities and quirks. 
Still, if you haven't seen the series and want a fun British Christmas episode, it's worth a watch. Tyson, miles and miles of carpet tiles, TVs deep freezing, David Bowie LPs, ball games, gold chains, wuss names, and head of push, and Trevor Francis track suits from a mush and shepherd's bush, 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 bush. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices at a straw. Nowadays, TV isn't quite what it used to be. Media in general is a whole new system, a whole new setup. Streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus are the go-to for a growing number of viewers. Traditional television is having to change in the face of the internet and the streaming world. However, today we're going to explore a concept that seems outdated, a listings magazine. The Radio Times was actually the world's first broadcast listing magazine back in 1923 founded by John Reith, the general manager of the BBC. It cost two pence and had listings of six BBC radio stations. At the time, the newspapers had refused to include listings for fear of taking away readers. By 1926, they started including the odd photo relevant to the shows being broadcast. They also were quite revolutionary in testing out and publishing a braille edition from 1927. Television was added in the mid-1930s and it became the first TV listings magazine. Radio remained at the front of the magazine listings until 1953, when TV joined it. By 1957, however, TV stayed at the front of the magazine, and radio moved to the back, a sign of the changing times. Nowadays, the Radio Times even has new releases from streaming services. More details and entertaining sections became more common as time went on. More pictures, pics of the week in the 1960s, through to interviews, star stories, and even crosswords. The cover quickly became an important part of the magazine's presentation. They used illustrators from an early stage to create interesting eye-catching designs for the front, and these became collector's items. It quickly became a common feature of homes up and down the nation. It was the go-to listings for many before things like the internet or streaming came along. But that's enough non-Christmas talk. The reason I'm talking about the Radio Times is that since 1923, its annual Christmas issue has become an iconic part of British family celebrations. The very first Christmas edition was back in 1923, but as I said before, this was just radio. So it had only five and a half hours of radio on Christmas Day. This cover started the tradition of a festive cover, with the first one having a family gathered around the radio on a festive red carpet and holly and bells were used over the Radio Times symbol in the magazine. The founder, John Reith, also wrote a festive message on the first page discussing the meaning of Christmas and the first wireless Christmas. He wrote about the power of radio, saying, The loudspeaker is such a convenient entertainer. He doesn't feel hurt if a cracker is pulled in the middle of a song, or offended if the fun grows riotous during his performance. The Christmas edition of the magazine has become a double-week special covering the two weeks around Christmas Day. It's often packed with interviews and articles about festive specials and spectacle TV out over the Christmas holiday. For me, and many, it's become a vital part of December since I was young. 
I remember as a kid circling all the things I wanted to watch, and I still do this every year. I wait for the release of the festive issue, and my mum does the same even though we live a few hours apart. We send each other a message or picture as soon as we have it, then get circling or highlighting. The issue always reveals its cover in advance, with the Radio Times still using illustrations or famous British characters to get that festive feel. Some of the ones I remember are Harry Potter, an illustration of him back in 2000, the TARDIS of Doctor Who in 2005, Wallace and Gromit in 2008, and The Snowman and the Snow Dog in 2012. As I said, lots of festive fans await the release so much that there's even TV adverts for the TV listings magazine. Radio Times, your Christmas and New Year double issue. All the films, all the programmes. Radio Times, Christmas just isn't Christmas without us. The superstar charity Christmas song is such a stereotype that it's usually the source of ridicule today, instead of a way of raising money for a needy cause. But there was a time when the idea of getting together a bunch of celebs to record a track for charity was innovative and exciting. On 23rd of October 1984, the BBC broadcast a series of reports on famine in Ethiopia. It showed the people of Britain the shocking truth in real life, the suffering, the struggles of children. Dawn, and as the sun breaks through the piercing chill of night on the plain outside Coram, it lights up a biblical famine. One of the many people watching and seeking to give money to help was the lead singer of 80s band The Boomtown Rats, Bob Geldof. The Boomtown Rats were an Irish rock band whose biggest hit, I Don't Like Mondays, a number one in 1979, was about school shootings. And he can see no reasons, cause there are no reasons What reason do you need to be shown? It seemed Geldof was not one to shy away from difficult subjects and ideas. 
He soon arranged to meet with the lead singer of Ultravox, Midgier, a new wave band whose biggest hit was 1980s Vienna, a brilliant pop song. A man in the dark in a picture frame, so mystic and soulful. A voice reaching out in a piercing cry, it stays with you until. friends, and Geldof's partner at the time happened to be chatting to him in the dressing room of a TV show when he called her. The two met up and decided to put together musicians to make a charity song to raise as much money as possible for Ethiopia. Geldof immediately started calling up people, starting with Sting and then Simon Le Bon of Duran Duran. Both were immediately on board. Further phone calls to management agencies brought on numerous artists for free, giving their time without wanting to be paid. Music magazines even agreed to give advertising space for the single for free. Midgier worked on the music bit first and then sent it through to Geldof. Something and, and let's see what we come up with. And so we came up with that, um, you know, legendary classic. Zed Carson. Zed Carson. He sends me this tape the next day um, of this do, 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 and I thought, me, that's familiar. That's Zed Carson. I said, and he said, it's better than any <laughs> you'll come up with. And he was right. <laughs> Geldof came up with some lyrics based on an old song of his, turning it to something festive. Then they booked a studio day at Psalm West Studio in Notting Hill on Sunday, the 25th of November. And the artist descended to record as members of Heaven 17 describe. It was quite glitzy, you know, and there was a lot of kind of there's a bit of preening going on and that kind of thing. It's more like a kind of weird school trip. Let's put all these people on a coach for a couple of hours and drive them to Aberystwyth. It was a very surreal experience. Boy George was actually in New York and was forced onto a Concorde plane to arrive early evening to record his bit. But when we started, there was someone missing. We wanted Boy George on the single, but he hadn't turned up. Bob tracked him down, sleeping in a New York hotel room. Hello, George. Are you awake? I said, you have to be here. I said, get in a car and get the Concorde. The laziest in the world gets up, gets a car, gets on the Concorde and arrives at, what, 6pm? Comes in and sings like an angel. Yeah. The list of artists who showed up were some of the biggest names in pop. The main vocalists were Paul Young, Sting, Boy George, George Michael, Bono, Tony Hadley and Paul Weller. But other vocalists included Bananarama, Heaven 17, Marilyn, Status Quo, Cool in the Gang and Jodie Watley. Phil Collins played drums on the track and it was all recorded in one day. There were some backstage shenanigans as glimpsed on an interesting documentary about the making of. I don't think many people have been to bed yet, I keep hearing 
rumours that everybody was out last night. Now, I went to bed last night at Did 9 o'clock and I had a bowl of ready breath in bed. And is that what you call it these days? Go on. <laughs> and I... I can't, <laughs> what are you messing about? <laughs> I can't understand what all of you have been doing all night. Because it's a really... I mean, it's a long time to stay awake. What did you do all night? Watch telly and went to bed. Uh, so you were in bed? Yeah. But you haven't been to bed? Um, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> this documentary also showed additional takes, such as Sting, recording that famous Bono line. The Christmas bells that Also, Nigel Planer appeared in character as the Hippie Neil from The Young Ones, a brilliant British sitcom, complaining about not being allowed to sing. They wouldn't let me join in. They just wanted to be like a really heavy technological, computerised single. I'm going to do my own one, OK? Neil's acoustic version of the Christmas single. OK, here we go. Feed the world Let them know It's Christmas Some messages from artists who couldn't sing on the track were put. These included Scottish rock band Big Country, Holly Johnson of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Paul McCartney and David Bowie. This is David Bowie. It's Christmas 1984, and there are more starving folk on our planet than ever before. Please give a thought for them this season and do whatever you can, however small, to help them live. Have a peaceful new year. An odd fact is that Annie Lennox's name was included on the sleeve credits as a recorded message, but there wasn't one there. The message didn't arrive in time before it was pressed. But the track was released and smashed its way to number one. BBC Radio 1 played it every hour. The government were prompted by Geldof and the public to donate the amount of tax taken from the record purchases to charity. And it spent five weeks as a UK number one. It's Christmas time There's no need to be afraid Christmas time, we let in light and we vanish it. And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. Wham's Last Christmas was second in the charts, and George Michael even urged people to buy Band-Aid instead, with Wham donating all their royalties from this song to charity too. The critical reception to the song, however, was mixed. Enemy magazine called it a turkey, and said, Millions of dead stars write and perform a rotten record for the right reasons. I wouldn't say it's that bad, but I do think nostalgia and the Christmas spirit helps it along a lot. It's also been criticised for its Western view of the world, with the statements in the song generalising the wide diaspora of African people and culture into one suffering mass. Large parts of Africa are Christian, so they definitely know it's Christmas. And there is snow, believe it or not, on quite a few mountains in Africa. Furthermore, 
the song is a predominantly white male setup, with no black artists taking lead vocals, and many popular British black artists at the time missing completely, such as Joan Armour Trading or Sade. Regardless, it's lived on as a Christmas classic and a staple of British Christmas celebrations. It's been mocked, it's been copied, it's been sung in karaoke bars the world over. There are even some alternative modern versions, which I'll have to cover in a future episode. For now, let's hear a few interesting covers. First up is Canadian rock band The Bare Naked Ladies from 2004. It's Christmas time There's no need to be afraid At Christmas time We let in light And we banish shade And in our world Here's a gentle take from singer-songwriter Emily Hall. Canadian band effed up for an indigenous charity who created their own, mainly Canadian, alternative take on the charity hit, with bands like Yola Tengo, Jizza of the Wu-Tang Clan, Bob Mould, Tegan and Sarah, David Cross, Andrew WK, Kit Malone of TV on the radio, and Kevin Drew of Broken Social Scene. Before I sign off, check out my appearance on Totally Rad Christmas, where I discuss Blackadder's Christmas Carol with Joey Davila. 
Whilst you're there, check out all his amazing episodes where he takes on 80s and early 90s festive culture, from music to TV to toys and everything in between. Also, for more audio fun, check out Ralphie's Red Riders, a rock band from Indiana. I know they're not British, but they make great music that's all about the 80s US classic film A Christmas Story. The new album is called You'll Shoot Your Eye Out and is available on Bandcamp. I'll put a link in the description. Back to something British for my final recommendation of the episode. I just got a copy of Santa Inc, a new fiction novel all about Christmas by British writer CJ Livingstone. It tells the story of a young orphan finding his way into Santa Inc, a giant corporation run by Santa in New York City. I've just started, but it's great so far, so check it out. My next two episodes are the December episodes. Full on Christmas is here, and my podcast episodes will reflect that with some super festive songs, TV specials, and Christmassy traditions. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.